Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. And welcome to First EC. So glad to have so many of you here with us this morning. Glad to have any of those that are on Zoom. We're glad you're all worshiping with us here this morning. Um, also, if there's visitors, we're glad to have you as well. There's some cards back on that very back table. If you would just fill one out, we'd appreciate it. Put your name, and there's a place for phone number and or email um, if you'd like to be contacted. But really great to have everybody here this morning. We're here to worship the Lord. Amen. Got a couple of announcements that I'm going to make here. Um, first of all, I'll just talk about the schedule. Uh, we will be having our Bible study tonight. Uh, we will be meeting for, for the Bible study, talking about parables. Um, tomorrow is my hip surgery, so this week we will not be having the Wednesday night service. Now, the coffee shop, I think we said, is still going to meet Wednesday morning. That's great. So they're going to keep going Wednesday morning. But nothing on Wednesday night. Um, and then you'll have a, a guest preacher next Sunday. Don't take it as a vacation Sunday, okay? Um, we're just voice pieces for God. God will still be here. He just won't be talking through me. He'll be talking through Bob Schaefer. Bob and Bettina will be here. Um, and then, uh, then next week, the, or you know, that following week is when we'll try to get started. I'll try to get back on my feet and... Uh, a feet and a walker, and uh, try to get to meetings, and we'll see if hopefully that week will kind of be back to normal. Um, so some of the things that are in the bulletin that we want to highlight, today's the last day to order the, the um, flowers, your tulips or your daffodils, so see Sharon Star before you leave if you're interested. Um, I had marked, um, also just to put something on your calendar, in a couple of Sundays, March 26, I guess that's actually the, the first Sunday that I'll be back, um, we're going to be receiving six new members into our congregation. So it'll be a day, day of celebration in that regard. Um, we also, I've also been asked to mention that next week when, when the Schaefers are here, any of those who are going along to lunch, it's at the Quinton House at 1 p.m. Also... When I get back, March 23rd, I'd like to have people come together, 7 p.m. Um, if you have any interest at all in VBS, even if it's just that, yes, you'd really like there to be one, and you don't know how you could get involved, even if it's just staying home and praying, whatever, but I'd like to get together. I'd really like to try to get a VBS program going this year, and so I'd like to see, um, see how much interest there is. I have a feeling no one has stepped forward because they're worried if they're the first ones, then they're going to be in charge. And so I'll just, I'll just tell you, no, you won't be in charge. We already have somebody that's going to be in charge, so to speak, but we do need people who will take charge of snacks and skits and whatever else the, the VBS happens to call for. But we'll need lots of people behind the scenes helping to make, make the snacks and all this sort of thing. So if you have any interest at all, please mark that on your calendar. March 23rd, we'll get together for that. Um, that's all that I have highlighted. Is there anything else that anybody wants to wants to bring up that we need to remember this week or ne- yes, Joyce? Okay, for those on Zoom, um, uh, we're we're putting together a one hundred one hundredth year anniversary cookbook. 
And Joyce has some, some papers in the back where, for recipes. Did I get that right? Okay. All right. So if anybody is interested in trying to make sure you get a recipe into the book, make sure that if you have any questions, <laughs> see Joyce. Thank you. Any, anything else? Okay. Well, then let's, let's prepare ourselves and our hearts for worship here this morning. Let's pray. Well, good morning, Father. Thank you for, for giving us this new day. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together as a family, as a family of believers, as brothers and sisters who, who believe and trust in you and love you. We're here to show you our love. We're here to show you, give you our praise. We're here to show you that you're worthy of our worship. And so, Father, I pray that you will feel honored, you will feel glorified through our worship here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The, uh, the Holy Spirit's been working on me a little bit this morning, wanting me to ad-lib just a couple of things. Um, I had a call to worship ready to go, and then I was standing out in the hallway when, uh, when Joyce Miller came in, and she said, when I don't get to church on Sunday, my whole week is messed up. And I said, amen. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Um, that should be in the bulletin every week. Yes, and maybe it's just a timing kind of thing. You know, if you don't go to church on Sunday, it's just like every other day. But also, when we don't spend time with the Lord, our whole life gets messed up, right? So we're here this morning. We're here to, to recalibrate ourselves, reorient ourselves, kind of get our bearings straight, right? So we're here to, to, to lift up some praises to the Lord. We're here to hear from him and just to get our week ready to go, get our week ready, set, and uh, back in order. So that, that is my new call to worship. That, you know, like I said, I think the Lord, the, the Lord was just... Uh, Kind of pushing me. I got something later on too that he just decided I should do this morning. But I'm going to invite you, please stand and let's sing along with our praise band this morning. Good morning, everybody. Let's start with an oldie but a goodie.
blessing that you poured out so freely from above. Lifting gratitude and praises for compassion so amazing. Lord, we come to give you thanks for all you've done. Because of your
Ooh, amen. Hey, take a minute just to greet, greet your neighbor, if you would. And Jeff, would you get the kids to come out? I got something special for them. Any, any kids want to come up? Doesn't have to just be from the nursery. Come on up. Hi there. Hi. What's that? <laughs> any, anybody young at heart, kids at heart, if you want to come up as well. Now this is one of those things where I say, I just kind of, this was a spur of the moment. I don't, I've been running through my head real quick. I'm just counting on the Lord to, to lead this. This is a, a prompt to sort of an ad lib sort of thing that came to mind when I saw that Joseph this morning had his, had his um, Civil War hat on and he picked the right side. It's a Confederate hat. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. All applause. It'd be, yep. Okay. <laughs> But you know what? I was thinking, and so when I saw that and I found out that he was wearing that, I decided to go get mine. I've got a, I've got a uniform, a Confederate uniform too. But I was thinking, you know what? We're going to talk about this later with the adults. But Jesus was talking about how we look and what we look like. When you wear that hat, what do you, what, what do you look like? Do you look like a soldier? Yeah. And when I wear this, I wear this when I want to p- pretend to be a soldier, Right? And it's an officer uniform, so when people go by, they're supposed to salute me and stuff, right? Okay, cool. Thank you. But the thing is, are we real soldiers? Joseph, are you really a soldier? Do you guys think, am, am I really a soldier when I'm wearing this? No, you're not a soldier. Because you don't have, like, a soldier shirt. You don't have a soldier uniform. Well, I have the soldier uniform. I don't have the whole thing. I, there's pants to go with it. I don't have the hat and the gun, right? There's other things to go with it. But we're not, I'm not really a soldier when I put this on, right? But it looks like I am. Pretend, right? So where we want to go with this then is Jesus also doesn't want us to pretend to just be Christians. Do you know what the word Christian means? Have you heard that word? Nope. People of God. Okay, people who believe in Jesus, people who, who really love Jesus. Do you guys believe in Jesus? Good answer. All right. Yes. We believe in Jesus. We love Jesus. But there are people who say they're Christians. And so, like, if we come to church, if we just show up here, can we just assume everybody's here today, they're dressed up, and they came to church, does that mean that they're Christians? Does that mean that they love Jesus? Right. We hope they do, but it doesn't make it automatic, does it? So sometimes we, we don't Look like we're, we may look like we're Christians, but maybe we're not acting like it. Because we don't know what these people do when they go back home and through the week they're working at their jobs and maybe they don't look like, maybe they don't act like they're loving Jesus. It's the same way with you guys. If you go home 
and you're not listening to your parents, or you start fighting with your brothers or sisters, or you start doing things that doesn't really reflect what, or doesn't sound like what Jesus would want us to do, uh uh-oh, then we're not really acting like good Christians, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> this is why sometimes, this is why pastors don't like <laughs> kid time. You know what? No, you're right. Sometimes, you know what? My parents used to yell at me sometimes too. And it's some, yeah, I think it happens to all of us. So it's okay. It's okay, really. Um, and you know what? Sometimes, sometimes parents are a little bit upset. Maybe something happened during the day. They're upset. They might, they might yell at you. Sometimes, Sometimes they yell at us because we need it, you know? God, you know, we think about Jesus, and we talk about Jesus being gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You know, have you ever heard that, say, that phrase? But you know what? Jesus wasn't just a pushover. There's times in the Bible, there's a lot of places in the Bible where Jesus, he told these people, these religious leaders, the pastors, if you will, of the day, he was telling them, look, you are doing the wrong thing. You're t- teaching these people the wrong things. And so Jesus actually yelled at the Pharisees, if, in a way. Okay, so, so sometimes we need to be yelled at. It kind of gets our attention, and it makes us remember what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, so anyhow, the idea is we can't just pretend. We can't pretend to be loving Jesus. We actually have to show people and do the things that we need to do so that they know that we love Jesus, okay? Let's pray. Well, God, thank you for... Uh, for directing me to do this. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I love these kids. You love these kids. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll continue to work in them, help them to recognize um, that, that because they love you, because they love Jesus, that there's a certain way they're supposed to, look, to act. That we, we're supposed to all be different since we know Jesus. We're not supposed to act the way we used to when we didn't know you. Knowing Jesus means that we are showing people love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me... um, This is a lot hotter than this other jacket. I was going to keep it on, but it's so much warmer. So maybe I'll just... Yeah, Yeah, Mr. Rogers, yeah. I am gonna, I am gonna keep it handy though. Okay, so we'll we'll take a little time now to um, to lift up any prayer requests we might have, and also to lift up praises. Is there anything that you wanna wanna share? Joyce has something over here. I praise God. My operation went well. I haven't felt this good in years. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. On Wednesday, we have a five-year-old in our house. Uh-huh. And so we're excited to celebrate Joseph's birthday this weekend and this week. All right. Praise God for birthdays. God, because my four tests came out all normal, and um, 
I just feel so lucky and want to thank everybody for their prayers and thoughts during this time. Great, great. Praise God. Yeah, I remembered um, Vicki went in on Tuesday, and I was remembering there were several other things. Tuesday was a, was a big day for, for the congregation. I know there were lots of things that were happening, tests and so forth, so I'm glad to hear that so many of them went well. Anything else? Um, I just want to thank everybody for praying for Robbie. Um, what they, so Rob had hand, foot, and mouth, which is like a strain of chicken pox. So, but it's concentrated on your hand, your feet, and your mouth. Well, Rob had really bad sores, like all over his mouth, and it was just excruciatingly hard to watch him. But what was supposed to run like a 14-day course actually ran it in four. So... Oh. Thank God he like is now able to go back to school on Monday and wow. be around his other little friends. So okay, yeah, praise the Lord. Prayers for Pastor Jeff. Successful operation tomorrow. A speedy recovery. May the Lord be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Up top, yes. I'd like to praise God for bringing me oh. back to church. Yes, okay. <laughs> and I'd like to thank the congregation for being so welcoming. Yeah, well, I'm glad you feel welcome. You're, yep, glad you're with us. I think Amy had something up top there. Uh-oh. <laughs> if... I was going to repeat you, but yeah, you, you repeat yourself. That'll be good. <laughs> that one's working, sort of. And then, and then, and then, the Lord said, it's this one. Okay. Well, she told us that. Yeah. There we go. Okay. There Ooh, we go. There it is. Okay. Um, prayers and praises for Twin Pines. We had a successful director summit yesterday to really dig into some uh, programming opportunities and ideas for the summer. Um, the schedule is up that if there's any youth interested in going, they can register online, that that's up and running. And so we're looking for campers. And also some prayers. There's some open positions at camp. So if anybody feels led, there's some full-time positions year-round. An assistant camp director and a chef cook are two full-time positions that are open that they're looking for applicants. And also for summer staff, for counselors, for kitchen help, lifeguards. Please, somebody sign up to be a lifeguard so we can take <laughs> the kids in the pool this summer. Um, so just... Prayers and praises for Twin Pines. Thank you. Yeah, in fact, I think I saw then, too, in May, there's just kind of a cleanup type of weekend that maybe, maybe we could get some people together and could go up and help out in, in that way. Be thinking about that. That's a couple months off, but not very far. So thank you, Amy. Yeah, we want to pray for, definitely be praying for, for Twin Pines. It's, I've heard so many, even when we were up, even when we were up at Spruce Lake, this camp that's so much so much bigger and they have just so much so many more resources but one of the speakers there talked about as a child he came to know Jesus at a little camp down the road he said and and it was it was Twin Pines he he mentioned it by name so um, yeah we want to keep praying for Twin Pines and supporting it in any way we can any other 
praises or prayer requests? Okay. Well, then let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, you've, you've heard the praises. We thank you so much for the way that you're, you're working in our lives. We thank you for the healing that you're providing. We know that there are some who are home who aren't able to be with us in person um, because of ailments and, and medical conditions, and we just ask you to continue to, to comfort them and to heal them. We pray for... For upcoming medical conditions, we pray for upcoming surgeries. Father, I, I do pray for your, your guidance with the doctors and the specialists for my surgery tomorrow. I, um, I know that we talked on Wednesday about worry, and I'm, I'm not worried, Lord. It's in your hands. I'm just, um, I'm just excited about getting it, getting it taken care of, and let's, let's get, get it done and, and get moving. So um, I just pray for your... For your guidance, though, that the, that the surgery would go well. We thank you for Twin Pines, and we thank you for what they do and how they share your word in a, in a different kind of way. And we just want to pray for its success and its growth. And Lord, I just, I just pray that these open positions would be filled, that people's hearts would be touched, that, that maybe they could do something temporarily or even on a part-time basis. And if they've got some kind of nudging from you and they recognize a talent or a gift that you've given them that might be able to be used there, I pray that they'll act on it, that they'll move and that they'll talk to someone involved with Twin Pines and, and that we can fill those, fill those spots. Father, just thank you for the way you take care of us through the week. You provide for us. You give us through our jobs or through, through income that we receive And so we give a portion back, Lord. I thank you. We thank you. And and our offering is is a token of thanks. It's a token of worship. It's our way of giving back, knowing that everything that we have belongs to you. And so I just pray that you'll accept our offering and that you'll bless it and that you'll use it in any way that you see fit. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. I'd ask you to stand. And we'll sing together hymn number four.
You may be seated. All right. Well, we know that when when Jesus was giving his famous Sermon on the Mount, he gave some examples of ways to be blessed. He talked about blessed are the, are the poor in spirit, you know, blessed are the, are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, we have recently, unfortunately, um, we've had several families very, very close to us who have, been, who have been mourning. But all those blessed are's are examples that we have labeled then as the Beatitudes, Well, today we hear Jesus saying, woe to you, to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, to the scribes. He's saying, woe to you. And I think he's saying that where we find out that he's saying that because of the way these these religious leaders are, are living. And so I'm calling these examples, these woe to you's, I'm calling these the don't be attitudes. So Jesus has just finished defending himself, and if you remember last week, he was accused of driving out a demon in the name of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. But he said, no, I get my authority from God. He made sure that they knew that Satan destroys, but I renew, I give life. And he told them that the kingdom of God is upon you. He said, here I am. And then he also told them that whoever's not with me is against me. Now those were powerful claims that Jesus was making last week. And those were claims that didn't sit real well with the Pharisees. And the division between, the, between Jesus and the Pharisees was starting to grow even wider. Well, this week, it gets wider still. Today's set of verses contain Jesus' most direct rebukes against the Pharisees and the scribes. He's just finishing, finished telling them that you're either with me or against me. And then we're going to skip over two little quick things in, in here that, where he talks about the sign of Jonah. He says, just like Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, he, Jesus, is assigned to the current generation And then he also talks about a lamp, and he says that you should fill your body with light, not with darkness. Basically, let your little light shine. We know the song. And when he gets done preaching then, this is where we pick up today's today's message. He gets done preaching, and one of the Pharisees invites Jesus to dinner. It's almost like perhaps the Pharisee thinks, well, maybe, maybe if we invite him into our home, we could get Jesus to calm down just a little bit, right? Or maybe it would be better if, if we can get him on our own turf. Maybe he'll be a little more politically correct than he's been. Maybe, maybe he's a little better in private. Well, let's just see. I don't think it's going to work out the way the Pharisees are expecting. We're starting in, in Luke. I'm in Luke chapter 11. And we're starting with verses 37 and 38. It says, When Jesus had finished speaking... A Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in, Jesus went in, and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. 
So when you're invited to a meal by somebody, and especially if it's somebody that you don't necessarily know real, real well, maybe you tend to be kind of like on your best behavior, right? You, you sort of show a lot of social etiquette. You try to make sure that, that you're going to do what, what's expected of you when you're visiting this, this house and you're showing up for dinner. Well, that's not what Jesus did. That's not the way Jesus was was handling this. He accepted the invitation to dinner. That was nice. But he walks in, he walks in, he reclines on the pillows at the table, which, which is not a problem. This is what they did. Now, when you think about Jesus at the table, don't think about a table, a dining room table like we have today. He's not sitting on a chair, sliding up to the table and going to have the meal. The table was at floor level. And so they would recline at the table. They would, they would get down and, and probably sort of lean on one arm, and the table's right here, and they would recline with their feet back here away from, away from the table. So he comes in, he reclines at the table, and he starts eating. And it says, the Pharisee can't believe his eyes. What in the world is Jesus doing? He didn't wash his hands before the meal. Now, it's not like Jesus has been outside making mud pies or cleaning out the stalls somewhere. This is something that they are doing that ceremoniously they take care of, a ritual that they do. It's not like coming in, washing our hands like we do before the meal, where we use a little bit of soap, make sure our hands are are good and actually clean. This is about washing your hands as a religious ceremony. Here we go again with these extra rules, right, that are set up by the Pharisees. And Jesus got in trouble with this before, let me read from Mark. He and his disciples got in trouble before with this. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now in parentheses it says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So it says that they do this holding to the tradition of the elders, not holding to the tradition of a law that God gave them. The Pharisees are so worried about the possibility of touching something that might have been touched by somebody else. That's why they talk about when they come back from the marketplace, they immediately wash their hands. They may have easily bumped into somebody, been touched by somebody who is unclean, and it would make them unclean then. So they need to go home and make sure that they have have washed and cleansed themselves. I call it the cootie principle. If you remember when we were kids, if if you touched a girl, you got cooties, right? Or even if you sat on the, in the bu- on the bus and you were on a seat that the girl was sitting on, well, the, the, the seat has cooties. And so just by sitting in the seat and touching the seat, now you got cooties. Right, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's what, that's what this rule is all about. They have this re- elaborate method of washing hands, and there were different ways of washing your hands depending on what you were about to do. Now, for example... Washing hands before eating bread. That's probably what is required here since they're getting ready to have a meal and, and all the meals had, had bread with them. 
Washing your hands before eating bread required you to use at least a quarter of a log of water. And if my, if my facts are accurate this week, it's a quarter of a log is equal to the volume of one and a half medium-sized eggs. And I'm thinking, one and a half medium-sized eggs, why don't you just say one large egg? But anyhow, this is what they do. The, the idea is that it had to be enough water to cover at least the middle joints of your fingers. Just had, to, just had to go across your knuckles. And so what they would do, you know, the, the Pharisee walked in and probably somebody was there to, to actually pour the water over his hand. He just takes his hand out and they just pour a little bit of water and he's done. Okay, I'm clean. I doubt it. I doubt that any dirt left that hand at all. But ceremonially, he's clean. Ritually, he is clean. So he goes straight over to the bowl and somebody pours it on his hands. Jesus goes right in. He, he reclines. He gets down at the table, makes himself comfortable, grabs a sandwich and starts eating. And I think he does that on purpose. Now, I know he does that because he doesn't worry about those ceremonial things that the Pharisees have created. He knows it's not necessary. But I think he's also ready to challenge the Pharisees. He knows what the Pharisees thinking. And I think in his mind, Jesus is saying, go ahead, say something about it. Let's talk about this. Because the Pharisee isn't just surprised. It says he's surprised that Jesus didn't wash. But you've got to figure that the Pharisee's not just surprised, he's probably a little bit upset. Because if Jesus has come in and he hasn't washed his hands... Now, if he touches something, a bowl or, or a cup or, or the person beside him, now he can possibly make someone else unclean. Back to that cootie principle, remember? Jesus hasn't washed his hands. He's unclean, according to the Pharisee. And he's getting ready to sit down and have a meal with everybody. And because the Pharisee is thinking like this, I think Jesus sees a perfect teaching moment. I've got a cup here. Yeah. So, how many of you would feel comfortable drinking out of the coffee cups we have over there, a coffee cup like this? Over, Would you feel comfortable drinking out of this cup? If you would, raise your hand, please. Yeah, I'd like to see a little support. Okay, yeah. How about now? Uh-oh. Nobody wants to use this cup now? Okay, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, Jesus... Jesus gives them a little bit of an example just like this. He uses an object lesson with them in a, in a way as well. If we look at verses 39 through, 30, through 41, Jesus said to them, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about cups. Now you're getting a little bit personal. But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Jesus said, inside you're full of greed. And to Jesus, the Pharisees demonstrated only greed and wickedness. And if this greed and wickedness is inside, well, it makes the person dirty on the inside. And Jesus says, I can't use that. But he does tell them how to fix it. 
He says to, to clean up the inside, all you have to do is be generous to the poor. He says give, some translations say give alms. That's not a word that we use very much anymore. But the whole idea of alms was, was giving to the needy. I know that um, if you go back to where we grew up down in Westminster, Maryland, there's a Maryland, the, the Westminster Farm Museum. There's a barn there, an active barn, and all sorts of outbuildings and a house. That house started off as an alms house. It was a place where the needy, needy could stay. And I think they worked on the farm to kind of work for their stay. But the whole idea of an alms house, uh, maybe too you see movies where you'll see the, the beggar with his cup and he'll say, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. I don't know if you've ever heard the word or not, but that's why I was just trying to, trying to help. Alms is a type of giving. We have actually three types of giving. We talk about tithes. Tithes is something that we give and it's commanded that we give. So unfortunately, sometimes people just give that tithe as an obligation. But then we also have offering, which would be something that you can afford to give beyond the tithe. And then we have alms, which is totally separate. It's something that you would give for the needy. And Jesus says, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. You think it's that easy? Well, it's going to help because when you give to the needy, you're not giving as an obligation. You're not giving just because you can afford it. Hopefully you're giving it because there's something in your heart that's nudging you to help that person. And maybe that cold heart is, is sort of being chipped away or starting to melt just a little bit. And the more that you help, and the more you help these, a needy person, the more your heart starts to, to melt and to be much cleaner on the inside. Then Jesus jumps into his woes. He jumps into his condemnations. Luke eleven forty two. he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. I wonder why Jesus uses herbs as an example. Well, can you imagine taking the time, no pun intended, taking the time to separate one out of every ten mint leaves, or one out of every ten oregano leaves, or one out of every ten peppercorns, okay, one, one, for Jesus, one for God and nine for me. One for God and nine for me. With little peppercorns or little, little oregano leaves or whatever. That's what, the, that's what the Pharisees would do. They would take the time to do it. They had no problem giving one leaf to God and keeping nine leaves for themselves because that's what the law said to do. So they were all about obeying the law, but they were giving out of obligation only. Now, Jesus says that's fine, but he says you should also have been showing love and justice. In Isaiah, we read the Lord speaking. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of the fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? 
Stop bringing meaningless offerings. It has, a quote, or it has an exclamation mark, so I think that's the way he wants us to read it. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. But then there's a pause, and then he explains what we can do. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless, the orphan. Plead the, co- the case of the widow. God doesn't want just the burnt offerings. Jesus tells the Pharisees that God, he doesn't just want their herbs. Now, he doesn't say that they shouldn't tithe because he tells them to, to keep doing this without the, leaving the former undone. He supports tithing, but he says God wants more. He wants their hearts. In verse 43, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. In today's vernacular, I think he would be saying, You guys are such divas. You just want attention all the time. Because that chief seat in the synagogue, it would be like these three seats that are back here. It's it's a seat that's way up front, and everybody's looking that direction. It's a seat of honor. When the person comes in and they're going to sit in that seat, they are ushered from the door all the way up to that that seat. So it's it's just something of of, a bit of prestige for them. They wanted that attention. And he says they want attention and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They want to be seen and, and, and recognized as they're walking through town. They want, he want, they want people to stop and say, Oh, it is, it is such a joy seeing you, Rabbi so-and-so. Or, Oh, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad to be in your presence, Rabbi so-and-so. And they want to get that respect. They want those special greetings in the marketplace. I kind of had this same problem, in a way, with, with reenacting. I had so many guys who wanted to be an officer because they wanted the pretty uniform. You know, that's the one thing. When ZZ Top wrote about sharp-dressed men, they were talking about southern officers, okay? Because we got, we got colors, we got bra- gold braids. When we, when we get dressed as an officer with a sash and the saber and all like that, Southern officer is a sharp, just man, right, Vicky? Okay, I thought so. <laughs> so we had guys in the unit that would want to be an officer. They, you know, they kept begging me to be an officer because they wanted that. And if I'm walking through camp as an officer, people are supposed to be saluting me. Well, that's what they wanted as well. But you ask them to do anything in a, in a leadership role, you ask them to take some responsibility. Well, you know, I'd go off to a meeting and I'd say, now get the guys to do this or that. And I come back and they're all laying around. What are you guys doing? So unfortunately, they just, they just wanted the title. They just wanted the respect when they walked through camp. They wanted to get those, 
those salutes, just like he, Jesus is saying these Pharisees are doing. They're preoccupied with position, prestige, and praise. Now, he doesn't use those words. I am using them so that I can use another P word for the next thing. Because he's getting ready to tell them that you want prestige, praise, and position. Now, he's telling them you're poisoned. He's saying you're death to these people. In verse 44, he says, Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. Now, at face value, that doesn't sound so bad. It just kind of sounds disrespectful. If you're walking through a cemetery, you tend to try to figure out whether to walk behind the, the headstone or how far away down, you know, seven feet from the headstone, whatever it might be. And if you happen to walk on a grave, oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to walk on your granddaddy like that. It's just sort of a disrespectful kind of thing, but it's not so terrible. Well, I can guarantee you that what Jesus is saying is, is much, much worse than just saying you guys are disrespectful. Let me read you something from, from Numbers. Where this is coming from the, Lord, from, from the Lord, he said to Moses and Aaron, it's a whole lot of different things that they're supposed to do. And this is another command that he gave them. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. So let me just kind of pare that down to what's relevant to this morning's message. Anyone out in the open who touches a grave will be unclean for seven days. Well, the Pharisees, they, they're always worried about being super extra cautious, right? So knowing that, I mean, God gave them this command probably because he knows that it's not healthy to be touching dead bodies. Don't go around touching a dead body, okay? And so he's saying, don't even touch a grave, because we don't know if that dead body has been in there for two years or two minutes. Stay away from the grave. Don't touch the grave. Well, the Pharisees take it one step farther. They want to make sure they're not getting, so where does the grave end? Is it right there or here? So they've made this rule that even your shadow couldn't touch the grave or you would be unclean. So you see how they've taken these things, and they always go, go farther with it. So they're saying, stay away completely from from the graves. We shouldn't even let our shadow touch it or else we'll be unclean. So that's why every spring they would whitewash the tombs. They would whitewash the graves. And that way anybody, a passerby that was coming through, as they get close to the town, they see these whitewashed things and know that, oh, that's a tomb. That's a grave. I'm going to stay away from that. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees are like unmarked graves, people who don't know and just by accident, just, oops, I've, just, I've walked over a grave or I've touched a grave. He's saying you're supposed to be better than that. You're supposed to be helping these people. You've misled the people. You're corrupting them. It's just like they're walking over a grave without knowing it. So he's basically told them through three woes that you're greedy you're egotistical, and you're corrupting the people. So how'd you like to be sitting at that dinner table now? You know, what, what started off as a nice little dinner isn't so, isn't so pleasant anymore. Well, one guy has the nerve to speak up. He's an expert of the law. He's a scribe. 
They're the ones who tell the Pharisees how to, how to live the way they're living. They're the ones who interpret the laws and help the Pharisees know what they're supposed to do. So verse 45 says, One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, would you say these things? You insult us also. Can you imagine being one of the other scribes? You're sitting there along the wall, just minding your own business, and Mordecai opens his big mouth and says, Jesus, I just want you to know that we're insulted as well. (laughs) So now Jesus, who was talking to the Pharisees, I see him kind of like reposition himself. (laughs) Yeah, I got something I want to talk to you guys about too. He says in verse 46, Jesus replied, And you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Jesus points out the failures of the scribes as the, as the spiritual leaders. They're the ones who are interpreting the law, and they keep placing burdens on the people. You remember how we talked about, well, you've seen some examples, just walking through the grain fields and just grabbing a snack. Well, you just violated three Sabbath laws because they were doing it on the Sabbath. You just violated three Sabbath laws. We talked about how on the Sabbath you couldn't carry a load. You know, there were so many things they couldn't do on a Sabbath I bet they were anxious to have the next day come along so that they could just breathe and relax a little bit. They just had so many burdens that these people were putting on them. And he's saying that they weren't doing anything to help them. And so Jesus had three woes for the Pharisees, and he's an equal opportunity offender, so he's got three woes for the scribes as well. He already gave them one, and now verse 47 through 51, Jesus Jesus says, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that, have been shed, that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel, the first one, to the blood of Zechariah. Chronologically, he's the last one in their, in their Old Testament. So A to Z, Abel to Zechariah, who, has, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. He says, your fathers killed the prophets and you show your approval by building tombs for them. And you're showing your approval for what your fathers did. In essence, you're saying the only good prophet is a dead prophet. And Jesus is confident that that attitude is going to continue. He's saying this generation is going to be held responsible for it all. He also knows that this generation is the one who's going to kill the greatest prophet of them all, Jesus himself. Verse 52, he says, Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. There are people, the Israelites themselves, there there are people who love mercy, who are seeking justice. They're trying to walk humbly with God. But these religious leaders are telling them that they're not good enough. 
They're not doing the right things. They're not following their silly rules. Jesus says, you're in a position of leadership. You have the key to bring people to Christ. You have enough knowledge that you should be recognizing me. It turns out the scribes are the exact opposite of what they think they are. They believe they possess the key to knowledge, but in fact, they're blocking the door. And then what's their reaction to everything that Jesus has said? Well, verse 53 and 54 tell us, When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. And they get their back up. How does, God, how does a godly person handle conviction? Think about David. David did some terrible things with Bathsheba, right? And then Nathan shows up, gives him a little bit of a story, and, 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 and David says, you know, gets upset, understands the story, but doesn't apply it just yet until Nathan says, you're that man. And David says, oh, that's right. And, and he repents. He, he drops to his knees. He confesses to the Lord. But that's not what these Pharisees do. Jesus tells the Pharisees and the scribes that they need to clean up their act. He even tells them how they can do that, but instead they they oppose him. They cross-examine him. They try to trap him in his words. Now these woes, these don't-be attitudes, they were directed against the Pharisees. As far as I know, the Pharisees are, uh, are not a religious group that exists anymore. It's just something from the past. But we still have, quote-unquote, Pharisees in our world today. And we need to be careful, or we might even find ourselves falling into their camp. Because while we do our best to demonstrate truth and to, and to demonstrate godly living, we can become very picky about making sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed. But we tend to do this by monitoring other people's behavior. We watch them to make sure they are acting appropriately. So how much Pharisee is in each one of us? Today, once again, we see Jesus pointing out that the religious leaders are just doing religion wrong. God doesn't just want your tithe. He wants your heart. And he wants a heart that's full of justice and full of the love of God. So can you give him what he desires? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the the truth that it teaches us. Father, let your truth settle into our hearts so that we would be doers and not just hearers of your word. Amen. I'll invite you to stand now as we sing our final hymn, number 382.
So as you go from here today, may people be able to see that Christ is actually living in you. And may you go with a heart full of love and a heart full of justice. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.